The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to Dunk Down. Let's get right to it here. The game of the day was Oklahoma City. A beautiful comeback win against Houston. They trailed by 13 late in the third after the Rockets made eight straight three-pointers and eventually came all the way back defeating the Rockets in crunch time for a second consecutive game 117-114 and Mr. LaRue your thoughts here parts of this felt felt similar to Clippers Mavericks on Sunday where the team that we expected to win the series went comfortably ahead kind of midway through the like or got ahead through in dominant fashion like midway through and just like okay that's kind of what I expected and then it the wheels came off the wagon differently for the two teams but the I full credit in this case to Thunder and also to the Mavericks of course in, in their classic of keeping on competing doing what they did well and also you know the Rockets coming back into it and something that I've gained an appreciation for in this series was basically this idea that Houston switching system forces teams to beat them one-on-one and I talked in the pre-series stuff about Gallinari I thought that Gallinari could be a an advantage for the Thunder in this he draws fouls well he has positional size all that and instead at times it's been Shea Gilgis Alexander but a lot of it has been Dennis Schroeder who's just blitzed his guy one-on-one yeah and the Rockets part of why they caused problems for the Warriors back in 2018 and they don't have the same quite the same guys no Trevor Ariza now who was a big part of what they did defensively back then but was they had all these like big strong guys Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker and Harden and so you couldn't really attack them in the post and OKC has done absolutely zero of that to their credit Gallo a little bit in the first couple of games but you know he was three of ten for nine points in this one so yeah it's been all the speed they have picked things up by just attacking much faster just even more of the same stuff that we talked about in game three and I think that they have comfortably outplayed the Rockets in the last two games even before getting in to crunch time frankly yeah and I mean the other I, I brought up why for me it was the inflection point was that Rockets lead that eventually evaporated it was a 26 to 11 run to start the third quarter and it looked like things were pulling away they were hitting all of those threes and something that struck me during this was that the Rockets really only play one way I'm not going to say they can only play one way because I disagree with that but they're generating threes there a lot of them were early in the clock and I you know I, I I've talked about how teams sometimes get too conservative but the challenge there and we saw this going back to game six and seven of the Western Conference Finals when they led the Warriors and then lost both those games though they had a talent disadvantage in both of 
of them, was sometimes that volatility is going to hurt you when you have a lead. And what frustrated me about this from Houston, I said that they don't have to play that way, was that in the first half, I thought they did a much better job attacking the basket. They had 14 shots around the rim in the in the restricted area in the first half, and they had eight in the second half. And they weren't getting to the free throw line as much. And some of that was, was OKC doing a better job protecting and not allowing as much penetration. But another part of it was thinking basically that a, a, a three-point shot, sometimes a bad one, but often a good one, that that was that that was good. But I actually think they could generate better looks than that some of the time. Yeah, I mean, this was not an offensive loss, though, in no. the end for the Rockets. No, it wasn't. It's easier to focus on that, but they just couldn't keep anybody in front of them. That, sure. that was the biggest problem. And, you know, Schroeder, this is just a perfect matchup for him. Yeah, he had the three ball working, which he's not always going to have, but 30 points, 10 to 16 from the field, and they're not forcing him into the mid-ranger that he likes a lot of the time because shooter if you leave the, the here's why he's a good matchup here if you leave the big back shooter is not an amazing finisher he kind of really only has one move which is go as fast as he can to the rim hope to beat the big there and lay it in before anyone can get there but if you're not playing a conventional pick and roll defense style where you've kind of got someone behind him contesting him a little bit and then you've also got someone waiting for him there already at the rim if he's just gonna attack immediately off the screen which they've done a great job of setting him up for and uh he's also was really good in transition in this game uh if he can get by that initial guy now just in a straight line it's almost always just a straight line drive and he's one of the fastest guys in the nba going in one direction there just isn't that big guy waiting there at the rim and he's going to be able to score by beating everyone there just because of the nature of the defense the defensive three second rule you can't just stand under the rim the way you can as a big guy once a a pick and roll is set as a big guy you can kind of just stand in the paint and they're never going to call a defensive three seconds on you once your guy goes and sets a screen but if if you're just have to be in help position on an ISO or a quick pick and roll where they're trying to switch to the guys way up. Now there's no help at the rim. Schroeder blows by that initial guy and he's able to lay it in. What did you think of James Harden's game? I thought that that first half looked a little bit more like what I've wanted to see from him. 19 points, seven assists, and he did end up with 15 in the game. But I thought that a little bit, some of the changes that they had trying to trap in the third, you know, it, it didn't it didn't totally transform it, but I thought the, that- they, they being OKC. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, you know, I was critical of the Rockets and Harden saying that they couldn't or wouldn't play a more conventional pick and roll offense style and they came out trying to do exactly that i think the rockets coaching staff really saw that initially and so they got some quick pick and pops to covington you know we saw a lot of harden coming off the screen to his left left handed behind the back pass to a guy above the break for a three and they had some pretty good success with that they got some really nice looks um, they also ran some more regular pick and roll with Jeff Green more often as the roll man. Covington was a, was often the pop man, although he is uh, one of the worst screen setters in the NBA. Oh I mean, my God! Yeah, he's 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 uh, he re- uh, to steal a turn of phrase from Sam Smith. His screens resemble a six foot nine piece of spaghetti. But he could still get open a little bit on those plays. And Harden did a nice job of drawing and kicking a little bit more as well. And they just got Harden more on the move. I, the other thing that I noticed was that I, I'm sure D'Antoni, as much as he's embraced the iso ball from Harden, really likes getting him on the move more. And they just struggle to get him to do that. So it's no coincidence 
And also probably no coincidence that Harden gets a little bit of rest before this. When he comes out of the timeout, they always run something where he's moving quickly, moving towards the rim, trying to catch it on the move and attack. And that usually ends up looking pretty good for them. Um, And there was way less for Harden of the drill between the legs 19 times and step back. Generally, when he did go to the step back in this game, aside from a, a ugly stretch late in the third early in the fourth he was doing it quickly sometimes not necessarily against Dort but just getting to into his moves much faster I thought that looked pretty good overall although he may have worn down I mean he played 43 minutes in this one so maybe understandable he had the 32 points and the 15 assists I mean pretty much all of those were for threes in the end and it, but it was good to see him playing some more conventional pick and roll ball like he did a couple of years ago and so it I congratulate him and the Rockets for proving me wrong to some degree and they did they played well enough to win offensively in this game yes they hit 40 percent of their 58 three-pointers which was uh, an NBA record for a playoff game but that's not what lost them the game they made 40 percent of 58 three-pointers like that's amazing they didn't get to the line at all where OKC deserves a ton of credit for not following Hollinger talked about that on today's Hollinger and Duncan uh, as we kind of just took stock of everything that happened in the first week or so here and also talked a little bit of warriors lottery and philly post-mortem but uh yeah the bottom line was the offense was good enough eric gordon had a a really nice run in the third he continues to dazzle with his ball handling he had 23 points daniel house as well really as a tertiary guy attacking off of closeouts and hitting threes he looked pretty good uh continues to to be an excellent offensive option for them so they're yes they couldn't keep up with okc at the end but that was just because they couldn't get a stop it wasn't and even i thought they missed some shots down the end too like their process was much better at the end of the game wasn't perfect but it was much better than it had been in game three yeah i I would argue that that i would agree with all that and i was frustrated at the beginning of the game with billy donovan that it was continuing to go with the the big man on the floor and and adams did have some moments he had especially i think he had a couple offensive rebounds in the third quarter which were useful yeah second quarter as well he finished with four offensive rebounds and he drew uh by my memory at least two loose ball fouls and he also got a team offensive rebound so now you're talking about getting seven possessions back now it's a little more easy to justify him but they only played him 26 minutes as i think you're about to get to exactly and i thought that part of the reason the new orleans noel minutes went better plus nine was i think that was happened to be some of when the rockets missed a bunch of threes but having more mobility out there and also having having some minutes where they went small and i don't know exactly what is leading them if it's the billy what i talked about on sunday show of donovan knowing that that's his best lineup but just not going to it immediately but they have to me looked more dynamic offensively and not given up as much defense when they've gone smaller at center yeah and they did it at in the overtime in game three and we saw that as their closing group again with Dort able to guard Harden and yeah he had five fouls but they put him back in with nine minutes left and he was able to maintain the rest of the way and bother Harden just enough that he couldn't go crazy on them and they played Gallo at center or I mean Dort was really the center on offense and it, it looked really good and that spaced the floor and that really was a big part too of you know I mean really beating the Rockets at their own game in some ways but the Rockets don't have guys like Schroeder and Shea who can really like get to the cup quickly when you have the floor spaced out a, a lot more it also helped that Dort hit three threes I don't they still weren't really guarding him but hey uh you know that's nine points of found money as opposed to zero so that helps you 
Yeah, and you brought up the Rockets struggling to defend at the end. If you want to go with the last two and a half minutes, they only had two stops. And if you want to go with the last three minutes, they only had three. And one of those was the, granted, it was correctly overturned, uh, the Gallinari kick off, the Gallinari uh, reversal. That basically was, a, it was originally called a foul uh, on a three-point shot, I believe. And then he, but then... The, no, no, no. It oh, was no, that a, was the was, kick on Eric Gordon. Never mind. Yeah, it was, that was the yeah, kick. Yeah, yeah. And, and Eric Gordon went vertically. He was complaining. Tony had his challenge. And actually, to not only have have the foul overturned but to have it put onto Danilo Gallinari for re- raising his knee up that was a, a huge great fantastic challenge about as good as you can get for basically you know wipe two points off the board with Gallo at the foul line there yeah. and get the ball back uh great challenge there but uh, they ended up not being able to take advantage in the yeah, end but so but I was saying is that they only had the Rockets only had three stops one of them was a successful challenge one of them was a Chris Paul turnover and one of them was a Sheamus three and it's it's hard I mean that's better than Denver did when Denver's last stop in the in the game on Sunday came with 311 left but it's so yeah. It's so hard to win a close game when you can't get a single stop. Yeah, and Chris Paul, we saw it at the end of regulation two nights ago, and we saw it again tonight. Cooked Harden twice towards the end and they really were hunting Harden very hard uh, by the end and wearing him out to some degree and Harden you know very solid post defender but he just can't really move laterally and then he's just gonna have some brain farts or he'll go for a like fake hustle steal in the backcourt and, and give up a lap or even the first play of the game he's guarding Dort and Dort sets a back screen for Gallinari and Harden doesn't switch on to him because you gotta stick with Lou Dort at the three-point line or something they give up a dunk on the very first play of the game game so he's he's gonna struggle at times and he's the last two games he's given up more defensively than he's provided on, on the offensive end another real head scratcher for me at the very end i don't think we're gonna go play by play through this one was pj tucker gets a gets a, a three that he misses with 26 seconds to go chris paul gets the rebound 25 5 and Harden is standing pretty much next to him. Was close enough to to do something about it. They don't foul for eight seconds. Yeah, he and, I, I, he finished with five fouls. I can't recall whether he committed. No, one he after committed that. that one. That was oh, his okay. fifth. He yeah. ended up eventually committing it eight seconds later. But and remember the, the Rockets. They eventually Harden hit a three. Like they cut it to a single possession game. Though I don't think they ever had the ball again. They didn't. They yeah. never had the ball again with it as a one possession game. But they ran a couple more times if they had gotten. Granted, and also part of the reason the score looks the way it does is that house chucked his house had a chuck that went in to make it a three-point margin but the like if you're going to extend the game extend the game from that point on and it might have been that Harden didn't want to pick a foul it might have been that he didn't exist didn't totally get it but I mean from D'Antoni's perspective it's like if that shot goes up and it doesn't go in you have to foul instantly and that's also why you crash the offensive glass really hard on those on those circumstances because even if you don't get the ball then you foul right away unless they do that little like tap pass or something like that so a few other notes here uh, interspersed uh, throughout the game I really liked it I don't know if I've seen the Thunder run this play before but I thought it was something that they really need to go back to because I I think it could be very difficult to stop what they did was they got Chris Paul the ball right at the left elbow and one thing that you can do against Houston is you can kind of get your guards closer to the rim because they just don't have a ton of size and so what they did then is they had a guard I think it was Schroeder who was really fast sprint off to 
get a handoff from CP, but he's really wily, right? Because one thing he could do, you know, is you got to keep him guessing on those plays of whether to switch or not switch. So CP, he starts dribbling to his right first, and then he pitches it back on the handoff. So the guy who was guarding him was like, oh, he's going to try and slip this himself on the fake DHO, but he faked the fake DHO and then handed it back to him for a layup. Or Chris Paul could just take two dribbles to his right, get to his preferred right elbow and shoot that shot as well. So you've got a lot of optionality out of that set. And particularly when you've got someone really on the move going back door like that, and the guy guarding CP is kind of stationary has to decide whether is he going to switch onto this guy if they hand off to him or not. You really put the defense in a difficult situation, and CP is so smart there that he could really just choose whatever option the defense doesn't and get an open shot. One of the other things I kept an eye on in this game was the limitations of Robert Covington offensively. You brought up him being a screener, also some shot selection issues in this one, and his lack of being able to dribble sometimes creates problem. Dribble and pass, like the two dribbles and a good decision type stuff. Like If you make him drop it's not going to turn out too well for the Rockets. Yeah, it usually turns into one dribble and a bad decision. Yes. <laughs> for Covington. <laughs> uh, as uh, if there had been any fans in the stands, uh, some of them could attest to it because he threw a pass about what, what would have been the equivalent of about nine rows back. Uh, on a drive trying to throw like a cross-court skip pass another game where i liked darius basley's performance i continue to continue to think that he could potentially be a larger part of this this year but also of course moving forward for thunder seven points in 19 minutes yeah. been capable enough defensively yeah we'll have to see what it looks like if he's out there in more minutes and if he really starts getting picked on by harden and whether he can hold up in a switch and, and avoid making mistakes but yes his skill set is really blossom he can dribble he can make decisions he's hitting the three Free ball now he's got good size he's put some weight on so yeah i think he could be a really nice modern player for this team going forward uh if not now pretty soon it can often be hard this deep into a series now this is four games and it's going at least six to to get into some adjustments is there anything that you see in particular for either team other than like you talked about okc using that cp dho action more well it's tough when you're gonna play hard in 43 minutes and you could tell the rockets were going for the kill in this one to go up 3-1 it's obviously it was huge if they could have won but i might try to just give harden and he doesn't like this he's a creature of habit more than perhaps anyone in the nba but i would love to just give him two quick rests rather than one longer one because i think he really whenever he gets a break whether it's a timeout or whatever like the first two or three possessions after that like he really seems to have a lot of energy and then he gets tired again uh so that that's something that i would just try to find a way to keep him fresh trying to think of what else with the justice the thunder stuck with the three guards whenever Harden was out of the game and I think that might have been part of why D'Antoni had to bring Harden back maybe earlier than he wanted to in the fourth so that was big and we have to watch the minutes on Shea Gilders Alexander he played 44 minutes yeah in this game and you know he wasn't particularly awesome but it was good to see him really being a key cog again for the Thunder and I, would you consider starting Jeff Green if you're if you're the Rockets, particularly? Because I, mean, I, I think I might want to do that because maybe you can just run, because Jeff Green can actually be like a normal role man. Maybe you can just run like some normal pick and roll at Steven Adams when they have their starters in. You can go a little bit bigger, still get some shooting with Tucker in the corner, and also maybe match up a little bit better with the Adams uh, on the glass. It's something to think about. Uh, yeah. Green has been you know one of their best guys in this series, and only 32 minutes maybe he has to play a little bit more um 
Eric Gordon, for some reason, only played 31 minutes, which I, I thought was interesting. I'm not sure why that was. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't in foul trouble or anything. I didn't, and I didn't see anything injury wise. PJ Tucker looked like his shoulder was bothering him again. That's that's definitely concerning yeah. moving forward. I mean, it seems like every time he's out of the game, it's like oh, it's like oh god, is something else wrong with it? But yeah, I, I'm not sure what else there is really for Houston. I think they got things largely right. You know, Ben McLemore was somehow plus two in this game, despite just being an absolute turnstile. I mean, like basically blew by him for a dunk I mean you're a guard you should at least be able to like cut him off initially whenever it was Shea Gilgis Alexander or Schroeder on him McLemore couldn't stay in front of them either and he's been a solid spot-up shooter but I think OKC is really they're really starting to lock in here and it is it's a shame perhaps for Thunder fans that it took them this long Uh, and I, I of course so much turns to the return of Russell Westbrook now and we haven't heard anything about really you know any sort of real ramp up there's a report a couple days ago that he was running on the Alter G treadmill which like takes some of the weight off of you and so I'm uh I mean, I'm a little skeptical he's going to return in this series. I mean, maybe if they get down 3-2, they might just throw him out there. But I mean, a, a quad muscle, like, you got to need your quad, man. Like, that yeah, is... Especially him. Uh, Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, couple other just general notes on this one. As I had posited, hey, you know, why is Schroeder guarding Harden? Like, why don't you try Shea Gilgis-Alexander? Well, I apologize, Billy Donovan. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was absolutely destroyed anytime he got on anybody who could do anything in this game which was a disappointment I mean a lot of people talk about his defensive reputation and you and I noted in the scouting when he came out which a scouting report which was largely wrong because he's really uh, improved meteorically since then particularly on offense and with this shot but that he really didn't seem to get that much out of his tools and he did get blown by a lot and that's happening in this series so I'm we'll see whether Houston tries to go and exploit that a little bit more uh, see if they could get him into some foul trouble for example and the other thing that was interesting was when Kildas Alexander's man was setting the screen at Harden they actually that was the one matchup it looked like they were switching otherwise it was Dort getting through the screen which he did an awesome job he drew it two offensive fouls again on pj tucker getting through screens and forcing an illegal screen um so that'll be interesting to watch whether they continue to switch gilgis alexander onto gordon or harden because that could be an issue and i think you know houston could be in trouble in close games and you know we dismiss that as potentially more luck-based but particularly with this group now if houston is down they probably have more comeback potential at the end of games because of their three-point shooting but okc with the ability now they've found these matchups that they like they can go at harden chris paul can certainly get his mid-ranger anytime he wants to on harden and probably get to the rim and draw help and set up three-pointers or, or finish he's been better as a finisher in this series as well again with the rockets you know not having conventional big men to protect the rim so it definitely seems like advantage thunder at the end of games and also in compared to where it typically would be for the quote-unquote road team in a series now is where the no home court advantage really starts to come to bear i thought that early in series we talked about this the team with the advantage if they get up 2-0 in the series that then maybe teams pack it in but chris paul and the thunder were not going to do that they're too mentally tough for that so they won two games in a row and now normally you would say oh the higher seed they're still a massive favorite at 2-2 because they have two of the next three at home and they're theoretically the better team now that's not the case anymore now it really kicks in where if you made it to 2-2 as the underdog 
you're in a much better position than you would normally be with the no home court. Yeah, that's a great point. Any anything more here, or um, do you want to? Well, on? I do want to remind everyone about Dunked On Prime, Dunked On SupportingCast.fm. That link is in the show notes. Thanks to everyone who has signed up. The response has been awesome. We have that pre-sale going on right now, where you get one-time only pricing that you're grandfathered into for life if you sign up before September 8th. Once at that point, we will have monthly pricing, but the price of the yearly membership is going to go up. We even have a alliance with the athletic now you can get an awesome deal on dunked on prime plus the athletic you also get our cap sheets the same one that we use ourselves you also are going to get the daily dunks which are linked to all of the best writing and podcasting and videos in a given day we've got a a lot of people saying that they really uh, enjoy those although a couple of people complained about the formatting so we're going to fix that we're going to give you the exact bolding and bolding that you want in (laughs) in that Uh, we are we are very responsive one of the things that i was thinking today is it's like it's going to be really nice to just worry about satisfying the end users who are subscribing rather than satisfying advertisers like that's really kind of what this move is all about and and also we're still exploring the space of how to of of having more flexibility in terms of recording and releasing material, something that subscribers saw over the weekend when you and I recorded on something we saw on Friday, we recorded on something we saw on Saturday, and and those people got it right away. And some people might want to listen on Monday morning on their commute or what would have been their commute. But if you wanted earlier, and especially like for us, that allows us to record when we're fresh, but also release when it's fresh. So people like for that Dallas, for the classic Dallas Clippers game, it was out there right away. Yeah, I mean, I think we, the game ended and we had the pot up like 45 minutes afterwards it was pretty cool and uh, i know a lot of people our big fans are like yeah i really want to react to that game that was awesome so it's, it's uh, fun to be able to provide that uh let's talk a little bit of well, actually here, lakers portland i was yeah, gonna portland. actually jump to um yeah lakers portland sorry i interrupted you i thought you were going somewhere different because I, that was where i wanted to go um, that's okay that that makes the score see i just interrupted you right now so yeah. all right so, so we're even for the episode yeah it was and and, and I'm, I'm down roughly uh 900 to one overall in that that's okay. Uh, this the Lakers. It was an absolute ass kicking in the the. There wasn't even a competitive portion of this game. I mean, it started fifteen to nothing, and some of that was feedback loops. It was the Lakers get. I I thought of it as them getting stops and then getting out in transition and scoring, and then they only had to defend in the half court. And I mean, they the Lakers in the first half put up a one fifty seven offensive rating. So it was kind of like Nikola Jokic was on the floor in Game Three all the time for them. In just the first <laughs> half, LeBron had. 22 points on eight of nine from the field, three of four from three, seven assists, no turnovers. AD had it going. Their supporting players were hitting threes. That's why they were 11 of 19 overall. And before the series started, I mean, you and I talked about that this could be a way for their offense to get right. And it didn't look like that early, especially after they lost game one. And it's not all going to be like this. But they, I mean, it looked like the the Blazers just could do nothing. Yeah, I mean, and really, I thought, despite the fact that they shot the ball well, this is another offensive loss for the Trailblazers and a defensive win for the Lakers. And yeah, the Blazers ended up with you know 115 points, but that that didn't matter. The first quarter is what really did it. And you know, they had eight fast break points in those first 15 when they went up 15 to zero. And yes, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the. Portland Trailblazers were going to win a game that they trailed by 29 at the half by changing the starting lineup, but it didn't do them any favors. And even, I mean, it got to the point where even Chris Weber was saying it on the broadcast that they had no space inside with the the Whiteside Nurkic lineup, and you saw how that really that decision directly affected many of the things that led to that 15-0 lead. 
You had a couple of plays like Nurkic gets it stripped when uh, he's just kind of standing out in no man's land and his man mucks up the play. Then they pass it to Nurkic. He tries to post up, but there's no space because Whiteside is under there. And then he gets it poked away. Uh, Lillard got a, a shot blocked uh, as well. Uh, Carmelo got stopped by AD, who was awesome protecting the rim in the first quarter. Um, then they had plays where those two bigs both went to the offensive glass and then it bounced over their heads. And then the Lakers immediately got a fast break bucket or a foul and it, it, then uh, there are other plays where ad hit a ton of mid-rangers right away which yeah you know he shoots like 34 percent of those this year you that's the shot you probably want to give up but still you know it took those bigs their sweet time to get out on him even when he was hitting him so it, it did really especially when you couldn't score and that was your problem in the series to say well we're i know what we'll do we'll start two centers together that that didn't seem like it you had to go to their best group and that well, and, he, and yeah. what makes it so egregious is that Here it's not go. like Whiteside is one of their best players you know, if if you run into a situation where, uh, sh- like, we have an injury, we have we only have three good guys, and it just so happens two of them are center-sized, maybe you have to do that even if it plays in the Lakers' hands. Gary Trent Jr. is a better player and a better fit for this series than Hassan Whiteside, and it's not like he's, you need to save him, like his energy is precious, like he's a, a, an aging veteran playing in a regular season game. You, If you're going to go down, go down with your best players on the floor, it's, it's completely, it's indefensible, and I'm not saying Terry Stotts is a bad coach or anything like that. I'm saying he is currently making a continually indefensible decision. Well, but here's what was most annoying about it. They're down 15-0, to zero and he brings in Trent, and then they start the second half with Trent. Like, come on, Terry. You knew it. You knew what the best move was, and you just didn't do it. It reminded me, not quite as egregious, of Greg Popovich in Game 6 in 2016 against OKC when he didn't play Kawhi at the four the entire series and then he starts the second half of game six down 30 down three games to two with Kawhi and they actually like got back into it and only ended up losing by like eight points in Tim Duncan's last ever game but like it's just you know what the move is like you, your actions show that you knew what the move was and yeah you know what if you're the Lakers and you know you wanted to play big all year and you have this massive talent advantage or you're the 2017 Warriors you're gonna start with Petrulia in there and just kind of ah you know we're just gonna we don't want to make our big move until later you know like uh we want to keep something in reserve yeah when you're down 2-1 in the series and you can't score pull out your best group and again I mean and you know Lillard just has was having such trouble in part because of the spacing right like they were getting all these guys out on the floor but then because they didn't have any space he would drive to the basket and there still wasn't anything there either right like the counter to the way that they were playing him was to drive to the rim and you would see when they had all this space out there that he would kill teams like the Mavericks at the end of games and the Grizzlies because everything is spaced out but it was uh again I mean the Lakers played really really well LeBron kicked it into gear I thought the one play that I mean and he was 10 of 12 from the field he had 30 points like he, he just completely destroyed the players and they had no answer for him was uh but the big thing that showed the force that he was playing with he AD posts up right after LeBron comes back in and I think the Blazers had hit like a couple of buckets they cut it to like 16 or something at the end of the first and they run a play with a split cut where LeBron sets a back screen 
and he just i think i can't remember who it was that he set the screen on it was like some little guard and he just rocked that dude and then he's got inside position right off of that back screen and he rolls to the basket ad hits him on the bounce pass and he gets fouled like but that like the physicality that he brought and you know it helps to hit four or five from three and for the team to go 17 to 39 and shoot it like crazy in the first half and but once it was once they actually started hitting some shots the way that things opened up here uh, was just the Blazers had no answers and it happens in series where like game game four can be really clarifying in terms of whether it's going to be a short or long series this one you know maybe maybe the Blazers win game win game five and make it a six gamer but I think we know where this is going they're not going to win game five I don't think so either <laughs> but I'll give I'll give them some deference and and I mean but it's yeah I, I think I think we know where we know where it's going and I think we can jump to a series where we know where it's going because it's already gone there and that's Miami, Indiana, the Heat pull it out, pull out the sweep. The should we, does it get the moniker with this being a double digit win of the of a McMillan sweep? <laughs> I think so because it, it it became a double digit win in garbage time. Like they were within six. You know that that's pretty yeah, like, like the, that's pretty McMillan, the right? They're within was six in, in the last three minutes. In the fourth quarter, probably in the fi- last five minutes of the fourth quarter of every single game. So yeah, I think that qualifies it as a McMillan sweep. Yeah, and now concern for the Heat as Jimmy Butler only played six minutes in the first half and suffered some sort of a shoulder contusion. He did come back, but looked extremely limited. Supposedly, it's just you know a soft tissue injury so some kind of a bruise but they should have time we'll see though because it seems like the league is really moving things up but the earliest that series could start would be friday uh, i think it's starting bucks... i think it's starting sunday personally okay assuming the bucks close out tomorrow so well, no that, uh, but, cause that'll I mean, be because well, that'll be wednesday so that's why I, th- I think they won't make the bucks go go every other day even with that i think it, my theory yeah is... maybe i mean that they're, they're uh you know boston toronto starts uh, thursday. on thursday so I, I they probably don't want that to get too far ahead we'll see but um but butler will have at least some time i imagine he'll play we'll see how well done. i mean he is butler does play a very rough and tumble style with the amount of fouls that he draws and he's gonna have to play very rough and tumble against the bucks so we'll of course preview that series we'll preview boston and toronto as well probably tomorrow i would guess hopefully we'll get a little more injury clarity before we do that but i mean not too much to say on this game 17 offensive rebounds for the heat they really just were the tougher stronger smarter team in this series despite like not really dominating they overcame extremely poor three-point shooting and pretty good pacers three-point shooting to still win this the fact that butler was so limited and the pacers still only scored 87 points and scored 87 points even with 38 percent three-point shooting on 37 attempts they got to the foul line a mere 11 times you know i mean how many free throws did victor oladipo shoot in this series maybe like 10 um and he was a little better in this game but uh ultimately the offensive glass killed them they were trying to switch out turner onto duncan robinson and they limited him to one of seven three-point shooting uh but then they were giving up a ton on the offensive glass to bam out of by six offensive rebound six assists he was despite only being 6 16 for the floor he might have been the best player out there today and nate mcmillan did start justin holiday it didn't ultimately help justin holiday played 38 minutes the most anyone played off the bench was 13 minutes like mcmillan did not mess around now well, maybe e- you even could argue. more incredibly indiana had three bench points in this entire game yeah uh but hey maybe you should have done that in game three when you actually might have had a chance to win the series um so i, I think really more a better use of our time is just a little bit of a post-mortem on where it is for these Pacers and I think you know we don't need to get into their offseason but just to kind of take stock of what they were this year what their issues were in this series and I guess where I want to start with that is had DeMontis Sabonis 
been available would that have changed this series in your view not fully i think he he would have given them other looks given them another player who obviously would have been one of their bests and so that could have given the pacers also a much more viable second unit his uh sabonis's chemistry with mcdermott would have really helped and yeah just having another he he could have given them an option to mash some of those switches a little right exactly so yeah i think i think this could have easily been especially when you consider how close some of these games were this could have easily been a six game series i think miami's or maybe even longer I think Miami still would have won it, and I think they would have still won it going away. But no, I think Sabonis would have made it would have made a material difference. Yeah, I think you know Jakar Sampson negative two point one net rating. That Pacers bench unit was a, a really good unit for them all year. Maybe it, it would have been different. They they could have gotten some more rebounds uh, as well. Uh, that negative two point one net rating in the series for Jakar Sampson. I mean, really, the bigger problem was that the Pacers couldn't score. Would Miami have been willing to switch with Sabonis out there the, the way they did? You know, Sabonis loves that pick and roll game. He loves the handoff game. Would they really have been able to like get into the post and and have him kill them? We could he have killed him on the offensive glass generally against teams with a lot of long athletes. That approach doesn't work that well, but it would have given them at least something. Also, Sabonis was really important to just their overall ball movement and maybe draw some double teams in the post like they just they did not have great ball movement in this series and it was funny because when they put this team together I thought that they wouldn't be as successful without Victor Oladipo because they had a bunch of guys who can like kind of do some stuff with the ball but nobody who's really elite and that turned out to not be true with the growth of Sabonis Malcolm Brogdon was better than expected this year and their overall depth as well they're able to make up a lot of that with some of those second unit groups uh, with Sabonis leading the charge there but in this series that did kind of come home to roost that I mean you look at the players on this team and their best player Malcolm Brogdon is what like the 50th best player in the NBA if you're being charitable yeah something like that you know he's probably like a the between the 10th and 15th best point guard in the league and you know but Miles Turner is you know or maybe around the 10th best center in the league or something like that and so they just uh at Sabonis is probably around the 10th best center in the league as well so this is not that talented of a team and their team building strategy to their credit without a star they've done a great job of signing guys to value contracts building up their depth finding way but depth only takes you so far and in the end yes without Sabonis and without Jeremy Lamb but still they had some good players in theory coming off their bench uh but those guys you know and everyone in the starting lineup ends up playing 40 minutes and so uh it's uh i'm not sure whether like a coaching change would help them. i still still think they underperformed a little but not that much i think i picked miami in five in this series so um and then defensively they're they were solid in this series they weren't terrible um but they kind of had some issues there they don't have a lot of scheme versatility mcmillan really only wants to play one way and that is that also works in the regular season when you avoid communication errors and you just get really good at one thing like that's an approach in the regular season but you know that led to some issues with say Duncan Robinson coming off of screens and getting wide open too many times in this series and they finally changed up their coverage on that a little bit and they stopped the heat reasonably well but they then the offensive glass killed them and they I mean they gave up 99 points in the game like that's not too bad but they couldn't score so uh it seems like the offense ultimately particularly in the playoffs is the biggest issue for this group in the end I want to bring up a couple of big picture things with the Pacers so they they finished the regular season 11th in net rating that's cleaning the glasses version that filters out garbage time 
They were 18th in offense and 6th in defense. And the 6th in defense was a surprise, but a big thing to think about there is that they were 6th in effective field goal percentage. And one of the measures that Clean the Glass has that I really appreciate is what's called location effective field goal percentage. So basically what that is, it's like based on where the teams are shooting, what you would expect. And Indiana, they were 6th in effective field goal percentage, but 18th in location. And so Hmm. what that indicates to me is either you're really good at defending shots or there's some serious luck in there. And the Pacers opponents shooting below 35% from three, 34.7 was the third worst in the league. I think rim protection, they can do more to control and they were actually pretty strong there too. But really like, especially like guys missing corner threes and some of the other stuff, like you can expect that to revert. And then the thing that's been galling to the two of us for a long time is that they're the opposite, you know, like their offensive location frequency is lacking just because they don't take threes. So if you want to go to, if you want to think about their shot distribution, the Pacers took the second least threes as a proportion of their shot. They they took the second most long twos. They did get to the basket, but that's the part of the Nate McMillan experiment that that he's not a bad coach, but you wonder if somebody else could challenge this and and they have players, they don't have like the greatest three-point shooters in the world, but they have a lot of capable ones. And if you look at the percentage, Indiana's been top 10 three-point efficiency each of the last four years. And Miles Turner, he might not be as good a natural shooter as Jaron Jackson, but I would love to see him get closer to that. And you think about what that could open up with the Pacers if they really tried it. Yeah, I do think, though, this offseason, particularly, I mean, first there's Oladipo coming back. At least he played, which is good. And he's now 18 months away from that devastating quad injury. He hasn't shown enough to me to say we're giving him this big extension we're building around him at this point in time. You know, would I consider giving him like, you know, low 20s in an extension? Maybe. Maybe I'd consider that. I don't know if I would go four years though. Maybe I'd go three. And I have a feeling that he's not going to be interested in something that low. But, uh, and then also not getting to see the Sabonis Turner pairing together in the playoffs is, is another real information deficit for this group. So it's going to be a very challenging offseason. My prediction is that they kind of run it back. I mean, the good news on the Oladipo extension, I mean, you might hear out the trade market for him and see if there's anybody with some interest. But if there isn't, I mean, I, I wouldn't be like trying to trade for him at based on this performance either. So the good news is that you can at least go into next season. And if he really looks good, then maybe you offer him a, a bigger extension. Uh, and remember veteran extensions can be offered into the season unlike the rookie scale ones which you have to stop when the season starts yeah thanks for mentioning that so it's a little bit and also the designated player veteran extension they can't offer that during the season either but he's not eligible for that i once wrote a piece on that explaining why he specifically is not eligible (laughs) yeah that's right uh so i think we're going to come to this conclusion about a number of teams of just 2020 is so weird the finances are so weird let's just like going to next year relatively in stasis there's not a lot out there in free agency and kind of just see what we have and then maybe there's going to be a flurry of activity at the 2021 trade deadline going into that huge 21 offseason particularly if you know finances and the coronavirus and all that there's more clarity on that hopefully by that point well, yeah i mean especially if they push back the season then that means the trade deadline will be later the the other caveat that i'll put on it and i don't want to get into a full offseason preview with them is i think indiana more than almost any 
team. And I've, I've talked before. I was writing their offseason preview a couple days ago. It'll probably come out soon at The Athletic. Oh, by the way, the Nets one should be coming out on Tuesday, so you can check that out. Is Indiana, more than almost any other team, their plans could shift based on what other teams are offering. You know, like, are the Warriors interested in Miles Turner? Okay, well, then that, that totally changes the, if they're asking price, if, if their offer is, hot, is strong enough, well, then yeah, definitely you could consider a Miles Turner thing. Same with Oladipo. You could keep him, you could trade him, go go any direction with that. They have Warren, they have Brogdon. Presumably they're not doing anything with Sabonis. So you have those players and Aaron Holiday, and then probably if they want to, re-sign Justin Holiday, depending on the terms and what other offers are out there. So they can they can make those sorts of moves, but it, yeah, I think it's more dependent on where other people value their players than on where Kevin Pritchard evaluates their players. Well, Miles Turner, after they lost, said, man, this is five years in the league and we've lost in the first round all five years basically like i'm tired of this shit and, and i sort of thought like eh, is ownership really that tired of it like that isn't their goal as a, as a franchise just kind of losing the first round every year like that that kind of seems like what they're going for with some of their reasons I mean, that's obviously being too harsh i i I say that mostly tongue-in-cheek, but there's also a little bit of truth to that. And they deserve a lot of credit for executing that strategy well and staying in the playoffs despite, you know, having losing Paul George and having some of the other issues that have befallen them and really rebuilding three separate teams here on the fly this decade. And who knows, you know, maybe if Danny Granger had been able to remain healthy and you could have paired him with Paul George, they could have gotten into some championship contention earlier this decade. But, you know, we'll never see that. We'll never see what could have happened if Paul George hadn't gotten hurt in the summer of 2014. You know, a lot of stuff there. But nonetheless, if things are, this is a group that you're kind of a little stuck seeing where they go from here and, and deciding what their core is. But as you mentioned, they do have some optionality. Uh, the Sixers had the option to fire brett brown and they exercised said option as of today he is no longer the coach of the philadelphia 76ers i thought you were going to go speaking of teams that are stuck <laughs> because and, and uh your your other podcast partner john hollinger my colleague at the athletic wrote an absolutely excellent piece going through what happened basically he he called it the end of the process now but you could also argue you know kind of the post hanky time and it's really devastating to see it all in that quick succession of basically all of the resources that got squandered you know trading trading for smith and trevor booker and dumping some picks for cash and and some asset plays that didn't work out and then of course the big moves and that's what gets me the most here it's not firing brett brown um that's come up it's actually been maybe the most frequent question that's come up on the nba cast so far uh in the playoffs has been like what would you do with brett brown and my answer has always been he doesn't look like a top 10 top 15 coach to me so in that circumstance i think teams should be more aggressive at firing their coach and trying somebody else out and I'm well here's how kp put it which i thought was great was after going through their options the scary thing is is that firing the coach is the best option yes and that's not a very good option but it's their best option right and i i agree with that and also i'm concerned that if they're going to go for somebody who's more of a retread like for example i actually like Ty Lue. this is in the nets piece that i wrote i like Ty Lue for the nets because a big part of that job is personality management and he did a pretty good job of that with the Cavs after what happened with david blatt but assuming the roster stays 
stays pretty stable there, which it kind of has to, at least in terms of Simmons and Embiid. One of the most important attributes is going to be creativity and dedicate, like kind of trying things offensively and defensively and getting the players to buy in. And I don't think of that as particularly a strength of Tyloo. I never thought of that those Cavs teams as being particularly experimental. He did do some stuff and, you know, the kind of the try it until it doesn't work anymore, which I respect a lot. And I he did a very good job at certain elements of it. But it's like for the Sixers, eh. And the thing that drove me crazy, though, was it was in Woj's, in Woj's report is basically that they're considering larger scale changes within the front office. And the person they're entrusting to restructure, uh, so I'll, I'll use Woj's tweet, that Elton Brand will continue to oversee basketball operations, but the personnel and structure in the front office is undergoing significant evaluation and changes looming. Well, if Brand is overseeing the change and he is a big part of what happened in the first place, it's not, I'm not exactly going to be hopeful about where it's going. Here is the quote from 76ers owner Josh Harris. We are really disappointed and know we let our fans down. It's unacceptable and it's important that we all hold ourselves accountable. We're going to be doing a real assessment of how we got here and expect that more changes will need to be made in order to get this organization back on track. This will be a crucial offseason for us and we need to get it right. Yeah, there are a lot of good candidates out there for sure. And on the coaching front, I agree with you. I don't think Lou is necessarily the guy. I think they need someone who really is going to be able to get these guys to play better defensively number one I mean they just have to be a great defensive team with this group that has to be the foundation they just weren't good enough defensively this year and aside from that though it's just it's really tough to create offense uh, from without uh, any kind of elite perimeter creator and maybe there's someone who can get through to Ben Simmons on the shooting even if it's just developing more of a mid-ranger as we've talked about with Giannis and just give him enough skills where he can run a pick and roll in the half court like that to me is much more important than this whole space out to corner three thing and then maybe things can fit around him a, a little bit more but Tobias Harris is a little bit overmatched and you know we've been through all the issues but I think Bodner's tweet said it the best here's what he said in June 2016 the Sixers core was Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid after using a number three pick the Sacramento pick the Lakers pick two max cap slots Robert Covington and Dario Saric oh let's not forget two first round picks as well to get Tobias Harris he left that out but he was limited by the 180 characters their core in August of 2020 is an older and more expensive Ben Simmons and an older and more expensive Joel Embiid yeah yeah I mean that that's definitely to have those two stars on rookie scale contracts and basically build absolutely nothing around them I mean that is an all-time level of failure so we've got some more news we can get to the rest of that tomorrow though I think it's gonna be a lighter day with only two games we will be doing the nba cast on clippers and dallas that'll be at nine eastern six pacific i also tweeted this out there is a an a actual calendar for that now so you can just add that to your calendar and it'll show up when we have one we're scheduling them out like a couple of days in advance or so and also dunked on supportingcast.fm if you haven't signed up yet and thank you to all of you who have we'll talk to you all next time at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.